Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Arike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the program. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, live streaming at WSBTradio.com, and on the free WSBT radio app. Also... A live video stream of the program available on the free Twitch app. Once you have the Twitch app, just search Sports Radio 960 WSBT and you can check out our live video stream. It is a rainy day in downtown South Bend, Indiana on this Tuesday, October the 25th of 2022 it is nine minutes after five o'clock and always great to have a chance to talk to you here on wsbt radio yeah we're in the middle of the college football season of course while we're past the halfway point already and notre dame is out of the playoff picture they're a four and three football team coming off a win over unlv on saturday 44 to 21 The Irish offense has gone over 200 yards in three of their last four games. So is the run game fixed? I don't know if we have the answer for that yet. I'll explain why coming up in just a couple of moments. We have our Twitter question of the day ready to go. And it's centered around who might be the number one option for the Irish passing game at the wide receiver position in 2023. Also coming up before the top of the hour, did you know that the Notre Dame defense is near the bottom in a couple of national defensive categories? We spend a lot of time talking about what ails the Irish offense, but there might be a couple of numbers that will surprise you about the Irish defense. Coming up, we have our My 5 question of the day. It's Tuesday, so we give you a little bit of an introduction to Notre Dame's next opponent, which is the Syracuse Orange. So five things that you need to know about Syracuse. In the 6 o'clock hour, Notre Dame football recruiting update with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer. 
You can read all his work at blueandgold.com. We're going to talk about Steve Angeli today, the freshman quarterback who is the backup. You saw a little bit of him against UNLV. So if Drew Pine goes down, what should you expect from Angeli? Well, Mike followed him throughout his high school career. We'll offer his insight. We'll talk a little quarterback recruiting. Is anything in the hopper right now for the class of 2023? And we'll also talk about a possible wide receiver recruit that is a backup plan just in case one of the top wide receivers in the class of 2023 decides to go elsewhere. Not that there's any thought that that's going to happen, but I think unlike last year when there were no backup plans, when two guys backed out late in the process, the Irish are trying to create backup plans for this particular recruiting cycle. So we'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Also, we'll have the latest in sports wagering before the top of the hour. Man, Bears fans, you got to be thrilled today. What a great performance by your football team last night on Monday Night Football as Chicago took apart the New England Patriots in Foxborough, 33-14. to One of the worst losses at home for Bill Belichick in his Hall of Fame coaching career. Bears tweaked some things, obviously, during the bye week. Came out with, I thought, a really good-looking offensive plan. Highlighted by letting Justin Fields run the football a little more. And boy, did he ever. 14 carries for 83 yards. The defense was very opportunistic last night. But at the end of the day, the running game for the Bears. How about 243 yards? I talked last night. In NFL history, there aren't too many coaches that are able to consistently take away what you want to do on offense like Bill Belichick. Well, I'm not sure their game plan focused a whole lot on Justin Fields running the football. You didn't see a spy a lot of the time, and Fields was running around gobbling up yards for the Bears last night. So really interesting game plan by the Bears. Boy, they looked good last night. Taking care of the Patriots, 33-14. Let's see if they can validate that win. They're going to take on, wow, Dak Prescott. Do you know he's back? I know the media never talks about Dak and the Cowboys, but it is the Bears at Dallas on Sunday. And what, based on what we saw last night, can turn into a very interesting football game down in Arlington in a wide-open NFC. So that's what we have coming up here on the program. Hope you'll stick around. We're here until 7 o'clock on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. And the first pitch tonight to you is, is the Notre Dame running game fixed? Is it going in a direction that will stand up against whomever they play? Let's dig into some of the numbers about this Fighting Irish offense. First off, let me just give you a look at where the Irish stand in all of the, I'm going to call it, major offensive categories and where Notre Dame stands in the national rankings. So for the season, Notre Dame's scoring offense is 81st in the country out of 131 teams at 26. 
6.6 points per game. As I tell you that number, let me add on to some background. Of the first seven opponents that Notre Dame has faced, only two of the seven are in the top 50 in scoring defense. Offers a little perspective. Unfortunate perspective. Total offense, Notre Dame right now at 386 yards per game. Once again, in the bottom half of the country, they are 77th. One category for sure that they are in the top half is rushing offense, which we're going to break down in a moment. They're at 178.1 yards per game, 47th nationally. Notre Dame's pass efficiency offense got down into the low 40s after the BYU game. Now they sit at 62. Red zone offense. Notre Dame is scoring points on 80.8% of their red zone offensive opportunities. That's getting the ball inside the opponent, 20. That 80.8% is only tied for 84th in the country. 26 red zone attempts for the Irish. They have scored 21 times, five times they walked away empty-handed. In case you're wondering, 11 rushing touchdowns and six passing touchdowns among the scoring for the Irish in the red zone. And third down efficiency, Notre Dame is 50th in the country at 42.3%. Now let's go back to the rushing offense and have a conversation about this part of the football team. It has been established by Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. He wants this offense to be able to run the football and run it efficiently and I think it's fair to say often you control the line of scrimmage you can control a lot of football games in fact look at what Clemson was able to do to Syracuse in the second half they just ran it it felt like on every single play they ran it right down the orange's throat and they rallied from 21-10 down late in the third quarter to beat Syracuse 27 21. So it was a run-dominant attack by Clemson. Worth noting. But that worked for Clemson against Syracuse in the second half. Will Shipley ran wild in the second half. Now the Irish against UNLV, that was last Saturday, 47 carries, 223 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, three touchdowns. So now... The Irish have ran for over 200 yards in three of their last four games. After the ball game on Saturday, Coach Freeman offered his thoughts on the Irish rushing attack. I mean, Audrick's been running the ball extremely well. Um, unfortunately, he's fumbled the ball, you know, each of the last two games. And um, I heard, you know, Coach Reese and, uh, you know, Coach McCullough kind of say, hey, put Logan in the game right now and let's let's go with Logan and in Again, there's no great running back. I know he had 130 yards without uh, five guys up front doing their job. And so credit to our offensive line and, and their ability when I think the best part about it is when UNLV knows you're going to run the ball, the ability to still run the ball. And I don't think we threw it that last series. That, that's that's big. And uh, that's something that I believe in is that, hey, I don't care if a defense knows we're going to run the ball. We have to find ways to get positive yardage. And we were able to do that late in the game. Um, you know, but Logan's done a great job. He's continuing to get better. You know, that that's a 
a result of being unselfish. It's tough, man. You have three good running backs, and everybody wants the ball. And today we rode Logan, and he did a great job. Logan Diggs on Saturday. He sort of broke free from the created three-headed running back monster that Notre Dame has been using throughout the season. Diggs, 28 carries, 130 yards, which brings his season totals to 75 rushes for 346 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, still looking for that first touchdown. Now, Diggs got the opportunity, as you heard from Coach Freeman, when Audric Estime put the ball on the turf, that was it for his day. Three carries, 17 yards, and a touchdown. Estime still leads the team in rushing. 79 carries, 442 yards, 5.5 yards per carry, six touchdowns. But he has now put the football on the turf in three of the last four games. And when you do that, you're going to start getting splinters in your backside because putting the football on the ground will lead you to spending more time on the bench rather than standing next to Irish quarterback Drew Pine waiting for the handoff. So Diggs got the opportunity. Estime had the fumbling issue. Marcus Freeman talked about the dynamic of the running back room on Monday. Yeah, we, we obviously take pride in using three running backs and sharing, um, you know, the bulk of those ball carries. But, you know, we were at practice yesterday and Logan was the first guy when we were running in uh, our warm-up saying, listen, I'm hurting guys, but we got to put the work in. And I remember I looked over right before we broke down. I said, Logan, what you just say? I said, Coach, we got to put the work in. And and that's the maturity, um, you know, of that room, of that young man. And, and we're, we got to be a team that continues to use multiple running backs. We're not going to be a one running back team. You, you can't, not in this league, not in the teams we play, um, the physicality, the, the amount of times we rush the ball. Um, you got to use multiple running backs. And obviously, um, we can't put the ball on the ground either, you know, and that's the the reality of it, I have not lost, we, nobody has lost faith in Audric Estimate. And, but he understands that when you have that ball, your job is handed to the official. We cannot put the ball on the ground. And, and that's something that um, he understands. And obviously he didn't intend for that to happen, but we got to make sure it doesn't happen. And that's through practice, but also, you know, building confidence in the game too. Hey, there is no question the game has changed. The days of one running back carrying the load, college or pro, you just don't see it a whole lot anymore but I think two running backs is enough try to keep as much rhythm for these guys as possible but it's strange seeing Diggs get the ball 28 times I think that is good news for the Irish offense if they pair it down to two running backs which I don't think they will so as I'm excited to see that development but then I have to take a step back from my comments And also focus on the fact you had to use one running back 28 times against UNLV's defense. A defense that had given up over 40 points in each of their last two games. You had to ride digs a little bit to ensure you were going to keep control of the ball game and win the football game. So there's good and bad. Hopefully, Estime's benching is a wake-up call. Because you just can't play consistently when you're coughing the football up three times in four games. Marcus Freeman on his fumbling running back, Audric Estime. 
he's tough on himself, as are we on him, and uh, has the high expectations for himself. And so um, he understands the reality of, of how important it is to make sure we are in possession of that, that ball when we have the chance to have it in our hands. And uh, um, he understands the, the importance of that, but at the same time, we got to find ways to make sure that doesn't happen. And Whichever ways we can do it, I know Coach McCullough works on ball security. Um, you can't live up practice right now, not going on game game eight. You can't do it. But um, we got to find ways to make sure that we, we continue to understand the importance of ball security. When Autry Denson was the running back coach under Brian Kelly, you could count on one hand over a few years the number of times the football hit the turf as a result of a running back losing it. It just did not happen. Hey, Estime is a running force for this football team. He's kind of that battering ram. You need this guy to be a factor in the offense, great in short yardage around the goal line. He's my top choice. Maybe Tyree's becoming kind of the utility guy for this football team. So is the running game ready to roll against anyone on the schedule? Let's dig into some numbers. Now, as I mentioned a couple of moments ago, the Irish have rushed for 200 yards in three of the last four games. That is a very positive development. This offensive line doing a really nice job under Harry Heastan. Running backs, you're never going to accuse them of not running hard. So the running game is clicking. You go back four games ago at Chapel Hill against North Carolina. 51 rushes for Notre Dame. 287 yards. North Carolina's national ranking on run defense going into this week's action, 111 of 131 teams. Then the Irish went to Vegas, baby, and faced BYU. In that game against the Cougars, 45 rushes for Notre Dame, 234 yards. BYU's run defense in the national rankings, 117 out of 131 teams. Then you get to Stanford. They did a really nice job of putting that extra hat down in the box, and Notre Dame couldn't burn them in the passing game. Stanford held Notre Dame 34 carries, 150 yards. Stanford is tied for 112 in the country in run defense. UNLV has played weaker competition than the three teams I just mentioned, so keep that in mind as I read these numbers. The Irish, 47 carries for 223 against the Rebels. They are 98th in the country in run defense. So the four most recent opponents in the national rankings, 98, 111, 112, 117. We have to point out that is taking advantage of a weakness of the opposition. That has to be credited. But we're here to figure out Is the success running the football going to carry over into the final five games of the regular season? All we can go on right now are statistics. I'll say this, Clemson did a heck of a job of running it right at Syracuse in the second half, which I think should give you some hope. But for a team that loves to throw the football, is the play caller, can he stay disciplined and keep running the football until Syracuse stops and they've got an undersized nose guard who's kind of fun to watch he's 45 he's kind of a 
Syracuse version of Kurt Heinisch. He's undersized, but, man, he's got a heck of a motor. Pretty good football player in the middle. But Syracuse ran downhill. I'm sorry, Clemson ran downhill at Syracuse in the second half, which does it offer a blueprint for Notre Dame? We'll have to see. So I gave you the weakness in the run defense of the last four teams on the Irish schedule. And Notre Dame ran it very well at them, except okay against Stanford. So here's what's coming up on the Notre Dame schedule. Syracuse is 39th in the country in run defense. They're allowing 123.3 yards per game. Clemson hammered them in the run game Saturday. Speaking of Clemson, the Tigers are seventh in the country, stopping the run at 87.9 yards per game. I personally have not seen Navy this year. I cannot add any perspective. All I can do is read you the number. Navy is giving up 102.4 yards per game, 13th nationally. Usually Navy's defensive numbers, we have to take it with a grain of salt. Boston College. I've told you all year they can't protect Phil Jakovic and they can't stop the run. BC's run defense, 71st in the country at 147.3 yards per contest. And finally, USC, at least statistically, is the worst run defense remaining on the Irish schedule. The Trojans are 76th at 150.6. So let me remind you, the Irish run game the last four games has faced number 98, 111, 112, 117. The next five opponents, the worst run defense of the five, number 76, USC. Which brings me to the original question. Is the running game fixed in South Bend? Well, they've ran against teams they should run against, although Stanford, I think we all agree, could have been a whole lot better if the passing game could have Help get that extra hat out of the box. But you got five opponents coming up that have done a really, really good job of slowing down the opposition running the football. For Notre Dame to have a winning record and get to as good of a bowl game as they want, how the running game handles these defense is going to be a major story. We have watched the last two games where the passing game has faltered. Sometimes it's a bad decision by Drew Pine, a late throw. Sometimes it's a drop, like we saw on Saturday by Lorenzo Stiles and Michael Mayer. Other times we see a breakdown in pass protection, forcing Pine to scramble and get out of dodge. We've also seen Drew miss on a couple of touchdown throws in that UNLV game where touch over velocity could have made a big difference. So, There's a lot of things that kind of leak oil in the passing game, which makes it vital for the running game to have success. And Marcus Freeman wants to run the football. But if these next five opponents play the run as well as their statistics show, is the passing game going to be able to do enough? That's why it's really crucial for Notre Dame to continue to pound the rock and hope that they have success against the teams coming up. Are they going to run for 200 yards against Syracuse? Now, I would be surprised there, but again, watch the second half of Clemson-Syracuse, and it gives you hope that Notre Dame can run the ball against Syracuse despite what the national rankings show, that they're 39th in the country 
stopping the run. Clemson's got an NFL defensive line. That's going to be a challenge. You always feel like you can run it against Navy. I know you can run it against BC, and USC can be a little hit and miss, but they have the athletes to come up and put their nose up in the box and try to stop the run, allowing their corners to be out there on an island against those Irish wide receivers. And I think every opponent feels like, you know what, we've got a great chance to win that particular matchup. But I'll tell you what, if you watch the film each week, it feels like Braden Lindsay could have five or six touchdowns. For whatever reason, the guy wearing zero, the ball just is not thrown his way or accurate enough for him to make a play. Some of the highlights are frustrating to watch. So again, I want to break down the run game a little bit, going in the right direction, taking advantage of the opposition the last four weeks, but I wanted to bring up the next five games. The stats show this could be a whole lot more difficult for the Irish run game, so can the offense still fire if that run game is at least partially taken away by the opposition? We'll all watch together and hope for the best. Hey, you got a really good offensive line. You got three good running backs. If you can just get a little more out of the passing game, it's just going to open up even more that rushing attack. I know the old saying is the running game opens up the passing game, but I'm also the belief you can really enhance the running game by passing the football successfully in early down situations. Now, if you get to third and eight, third and nine, you become predictable. Boy, if the Irish could throw the ball a little better on first down, it puts the defense in a bind, and then they're not going to be so rambunctious about bringing that safety down to help stop the Irish rushing attack. 28 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our Twitter question of the day is coming up next. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. Just noticed something on Twitter. Roquan Smith, the Bears linebacker last night, became the first Bears player ever to record the following stat line. 12 tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, one interception. Pretty good day for the entire Bears football team, putting it to Belichick and the Patriots last night. All right, back to some Notre Dame football talk. Our Twitter question of the day, always available during the week on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. Yesterday's question, is Notre Dame an underperforming football team? Choice number one, yes, they are a more talented team than the results. Choice number two, no, they are playing up to the talent level that they have. Well, this was a landslide, and this kind of goes back to people saying the cupboard was empty at the start of the year, and I think this stat disproves that, at least in the eyes of the Irish fans who voted, 
91.5% call this an underperforming football team. This is a more talented team than the results are showing. 8.5% believe that this team is playing up to its talent level. Well, for me, this is a more talented football team than 4-3. and three. There's no question they should be 6-1 and one right now. But they are who they are, and the goal is to get better every week. They just started at such a lower level than I expected and probably you expected as well. Today's question is a little bit more on the future of Notre Dame football. Who will be... Notre Dame's top wide receiver in 2023. Again, who will be Notre Dame's top wide receiver in 2023? I gave you four choices today. Number one, the guy we thought that was going to be number one this year, Lorenzo Styles. He'll be a junior next year. Choice number two is Tobias Merriweather. He'll be a sophomore next season. Choice number three The Irish have a really good 2023 wide receiver group that they're bringing in. So the third choice is a current 2023 high school senior. And choice number four, a transfer. So who will be Notre Dame's top wide receiver next year? Styles, Merriweather, a current high school senior, or a transfer? I'd love to get your vote. My Twitter account is at 960SportsBeat. Budweiser's Weekday SportsBeat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fits anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. Coming up next, did you know that the Irish defense is at the bottom or near the bottom in a couple of national categories. We'll give you the details coming up next as Sportsbeat continues. 542 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sportsbeat. Notre Dame brings five. Bradley steps back. In trouble. He sacks. At the 15-yard line, J.D. Bertrand got him. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And down he goes. At the 16-yard line, Justin Adamilola got there first. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Oh, intercepted. This will be a pick six. Into the end zone goes Jack Kaiser. 
42-yard touchdown. Thirteen minutes in front of six o'clock. Welcome back to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame Sports Radio nine sixty. WSBT. Great to have you on board on this Tuesday evening. The Fighting Irish preparing to head to Upper New York to face the Syracuse Orange. It's an early start on Saturday, a noon kickoff here on WSBT Radio. That means pregame coverage starts at 6 a.m. Well, the Irish defense has had a solid year throughout the year as the offense has been going through Some ups and downs. The defense has been pretty reliable. Now, as I say that, I think there's always just a few plays. Each game, we're always like scratching our head to why there's that big breakdown or there's a a series or two where just things don't go like they had been in the earlier portions of the game. Well, you dig into some numbers and you find some very interesting statistics in regard to this Irish defense. First off, you got to like the fact they've done a very good job this year of getting to the quarterback. The Irish are averaging 2.83 sacks per game. That is tied for 23rd in the country. They have recorded 20 sacks in seven games. Isaiah Foskey, a huge game against UNLV on Saturday with the three sacks. But the ability to put pressure on the quarterback hasn't necessarily resulted in other parts of the defense, you could say, taking advantage. First off, this team rarely bats down a ball at the line of scrimmage like the opposition is doing to Drew Pine. You look at pass breakups, the inability to make a play once the ball is thrown by the opposing quarterback. Notre Dame, out of 131 FBS teams, they are number 130 in pass breakups per game. They are averaging 1.86 pass breakup per game. They have 12 pass breakups in seven games. Linebackers, corners, safeties. Once the ball is in the air, unfortunately, there is not a lot of playmaking going on. And as we all know, Interceptions have been too far and few in between. You had that interception by Tariq Bracey in Vegas against BYU on the first play of the game. So Notre Dame next to last in the country in pass breakups. We know they have only turned over the opposition three times this year, leading to only 10 points. Notre Dame in turnovers created is tied for 129 in the country, which is last because they're tied with two other teams, New Mexico State and Fresno State. Now, some of that is luck, to be fair, to Al Golden's defense. They have gotten the ball on the ground. The ball just has not bounced their way for fumble recoveries. Eventually, those are going to start going Notre Dame's way. It just has to. Everything always balances out. But the fact is, they're last in the country in turnovers created with three. And for an offense that needs a little help, short fields, the ability to get some easy points on the board, three turnovers have led to 10 points. Also, another stat that pops up 
when you look up some of the Notre Dame defensive numbers. How about this? There are two teams in the country right now that have allowed their opponent to score every single time they have gotten into the red zone. Again, the red zone is inside the 20-yard line. Two teams have allowed points every single time. The first, Rutgers. The opponents have gotten inside the Scarlet Knight 20-yard line 14 times. They've scored 14 times. Take a wild guess who the other team is. Yeah, the Irish. Opponents have gotten inside the Notre Dame 20 17 times. They have scored 17 times. Let me remind you, UNLV had seven points against San Jose State, seven points against Air Force the previous two weeks before taking on the Irish. And they were playing the Irish without their starting quarterback and starting running back. UNLV, three trips into the red zone, three touchdowns against Notre Dame. So on the season, 17 times opposing offenses have gotten inside the Irish 20. 17 times they have scored. 14 touchdowns and three field goals. That is not championship-level football. That is not going to get you to the college football playoff. That sends you to the Mayo Bowl. Now, the opposition, those 14 touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns, seven passing touchdowns. So the opposition is scoring a touchdown in the red zone 82.3% of the time. Let that soak in. That's not just scoring points. That's scoring touchdowns, which has been difficult for the Irish offense to do the last couple of years. Be effective in the red zone. We sit there and talk about how they kick too many field goals and don't score enough touchdowns. Unfortunately, the defense, they're giving up way too many touchdowns and not holding the opposition to a field goal or no points. So again, 82.3% of the time, the opposition scores a touchdown when they get inside the Notre Dame 20. So what do you walk away from this conversation? Some of the numbers for the Notre Dame defense are very good or average. But then you get to their next to last in the country in pass breakups. They're tied for last in the country in turnovers created. And they are tied for last in the country and allowing the opposition to score when they get into the red zone. So as we spend a lot of time talking about red zone offensive efficiencies, the defense has, well, been fighting some struggles as well. Marcus Freeman talked about some of these red zone offensive and defensive miscues after beating UNLV on Saturday. The point of red zone, when you're on offense, you want to score touchdowns. And on defense, you want to make them kick field goals. And um, at some points today, it was a little bit opposite, you know. But I wanted to, going into this game, I wanted to, if, if it was close. Last couple of games, I've been pretty aggressive on fourth and short. Um, this game, I wanted to, you know what, we're going to need groupie to, to get some confidence. We're going to need to kick the ball. And, and I had told Coach Reese, hey, if it's a probably fourth and two, I'm going to kick it right now, you know, and, and really – um, try to get some points on the board and, and get some momentum for our team. And that's what I told him. Hey, great job taking care of the ball. We get three points here. It's good momentum for our team. Defensively, obviously, you don't want them to score. There's some things we got to get fixed, um, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll go back and we'll review it and see what the issues were. Some things to fix. 
82% of the time the defense is scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And they have not been stopped inside the Notre Dame 20 this year. That's a major deficiency. And now the Irish run into a couple of football teams that can run it very well, even in those tough areas down in the red zone, Syracuse and Clemson. Those are numbers we're not used to seeing for Notre Dame football unless it's the Brian Van Gorder era. Next to last in pass breakups, last in turnovers created, last in red zone defense efficiency. 5.55 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Coming up next, after a Sports Center update, we've got the My Five Things to Know About Saturday's opponent, the Orange, from Syracuse University. 5.56 at WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Speak continues. We have rolled into the 6 o'clock hour, eight minutes after 6 o'clock. We're on the air until 7 o'clock talking Fighting Irish football. We've moved now to the portion of the program that we call the My Five. One question, five answers today. We'll go into a little detail about the next opponent for the Fighting Irish. Things you need to know about the Orange from Syracuse University. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We start with the fact that Syracuse was 6-0 going into the Clemson game last Saturday for the first time since 1987. Looked like the Orange were going to win too, but they fell to Clemson 27-21 despite the fact they had a 21-10 lead late into the third quarter. Now, without a doubt, Clemson is the best team that Syracuse has faced this year. Their six wins, they beat Louisville 31-7. An easy road victory over UConn, 43-14. They scored the late touchdown at home to beat the Purdue Boilermakers, 32-29. A late field goal allowed Syracuse to escape with a 22-20 win over an average, below average Virginia team. They blew out Wagner 59-0. And NC State played their backup quarterback. He was not very competitive. Syracuse over the Wolfpack 24-9. Takeaways from the Syracuse game against Clemson. Again, the Tigers won 27-21. You look at the Syracuse running game against the Clemson run defense. As we told you in the first segment of the program, Clemson number seven in the country against the run, giving up 87.9 yards per game. Syracuse, 28 carries, 124 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. The best running back, Tucker, only got the ball five times, oddly enough. They used their quarterback effectively running the football Garrett Schrader, the transfer from Mississippi State, 21 rushes for 71 yards. Now let's talk about the Syracuse run defense. They had their hands full with Clemson. Syracuse still 39th in the country against the run at 123 yards per game, but the Tigers, 60 rushes for 293 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, led by Will Shipley. 27 rushes, 172 yards, 
two touchdowns, including a 50-yard scamper in the second half for Clemson. And a lot of that running done with the backup quarterback, freshman Cade Klubnick in the ballgame, who replaced DJU, who was coughing the football up. He was sent to the bench. The freshman came in and helped Clemson rally to beat Syracuse 27-21. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Now let's talk about some of the famous alumni from Syracuse. Some of the actors who graduated from Syracuse. If you're into Blade Runner, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you talk about two different genres. Joanna Cassidy was a part of both of those casts. She graduated from Syracuse. Tay Diggs. From Columbo fame, Peter Falk. Jerry Stiller. Boy, he was one of the funniest guys around. Seinfeld. Also, something about Raymond. Screenwriter Aaron Sorkin also graduated from Syracuse. Musicians, the rascal singer Felix Cavalier went to Syracuse. Lou Reed and former Miss America Vanessa Williams. Broadcasters, Bob Costas, Marv Albert. Now this one I did not know. Dick Clark went to Syracuse. Ian Eagle, who reportedly is going to take over for Jim Nance. As the voice of the Final Four on CBS in two years. This year will be Nance's final Final Four, according to, I think it was the New York Post. Newsmaker Megan Kelly went to Syracuse. Ted Koppel, one of the most underrated play-by-play broadcasters. Sean McDonough, and arguably the best broadcaster of our time, Mike Tirico. Football players that went to Syracuse. Pretty distinguished group. Former kicker Gary Anderson. Running back Larry Zonka, part of that Miami Dolphins 1972 perfect season. Former New York Giants Super Bowl winning head coach Tom Coughlin went to Syracuse. The former Raiders owner, the late Al Davis, was at Syracuse. Ernie Davis. Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison, Daryl Moose Johnson, Donovan McNabb, and last but certainly not least, the guy at the top of the list, the great Jim Brown. Basketball players, Dave Bing, player coach Jim Beheim, Derek Coleman, and the guy who brought them their national championship, Carmelo Anthony. And finally, another graduate from Syracuse, President Joe Biden. Number two. Things to know about Syracuse. Head coach Dino Babers got his head coaching start at Eastern Illinois. You know, there's a lot of good football coaches that went through Eastern Illinois. Mike Shanahan, Sean Payton, some really good quarterbacks, Tony Romo, and the guy that Dino coached at Eastern Illinois, Jimmy Garoppolo. Good old Charleston, Illinois, the hotbed of NFL coaches and NFL quarterbacks? I don't know. Dino also coached at Bowling Green, where he worked with South Bend's Garrick Dieter. Now, Syracuse has stuck with Babers when many schools might have moved on from him. And it's working out well for both sides. Dino's third year at Syracuse was 2018. He went 10-3. and 
Then they fell back to 5-7 and seven and hit rock bottom in 2020, going 1-10. But they stuck with Dino. He worked the program back to 5-7 and seven last year. And now a 6-1 football team that is the favorite at home against Notre Dame on Saturday. Number one. And finally, we need to tell you about the Orange quarterback, Garrett Schrader. He started his college football career at Mississippi State and played quite a bit as a freshman in 2019. He was 88 of 153, 57.5%, threw for 1,170 yards, eight touchdowns, five interceptions. He also ran the ball 113 times for 587 yards, six touchdowns. He was beaten out for the starting job as a sophomore in 2020 and did not play. Transferred to Syracuse his junior year last year, 2021. Only completed 52.6% of his passes in 234 attempts. 1,445 passing yards, nine touchdowns, four picks, but ran the football highly effectively, 173 carries, 781 yards, and 14 touchdowns. This year as a senior at Syracuse, 124 of 178, all the way up to 69.7%. He has thrown for 1,601 yards, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. He has ran the ball 99 times, 371 yards, and six touchdowns. Against Clemson last week, the best defense he has faced, Schrader, 18 of 26 for 167 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. And he rushed the ball 21 times, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Running quarterbacks have been a handful for Irish defenses the last couple of years. That is five things to know about the Syracuse Orange. Next, I'm talking Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by my normal Tuesday guest. He covers all things Notre Dame football recruiting, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Mike Singer. Mike, it's another week. The Irish are coming off the victory, so I'm sure everybody in the message boards are happy. Recruiting's been a little <laughs> quiet this week, but we've still got plenty to talk about on this Tuesday. Why don't we just kind of blend everything together a former recruit now the backup quarterback for this Notre Dame football team Steve Angeli got a little playing time on Saturday and I was in the game we scored a touchdown good things happen when the New Jersey native gets into the ball game but first off it was a scary hit on Drew Pine good to see he bounced back and came in the football game and I know Mike this is the guy you spent a lot of time with when he was being recruited and had offered his commitment to the University of Notre Dame. So I think you know him as well as any Notre Dame media member. What are you, just kind of your impressions of Steve and how ready he was to handle that particular moment on Saturday? 
Yeah, like you said, this is usually our uh, you know twenty minutes to talk Notre Dame football recruiting, but uh, not really much has transpired in the past week. Um, so you know we're we're going to talk a little Angeli, and as soon as I heard what Marcus Freeman said about him, I texted you right away. I was like, all right, we need to we need to talk about this guy today. Um, so first about him as as a you know he's in high school. You know what what stood out to me first is is really how he carried himself. Um, I know that's kind of a quarterback cliche that I think Notre Dame fans are kind of tired of hearing of, but that that's that was my kind of first impression. Just you know how how he spoke, um, how he led. I, I got to see him practice. Um, this would have been back in August of 2020. Um, Some practice and just you know, coaches talk about all the time how important practice is, right? Um, you know to be able to earn that trust and. Um, you know, I, I thought he was outstanding. A lot of times, you can learn more from about a player in, in practice than you can at game. Especially if it's just a sixty-two to zero win, you're not learning a whole lot. They're playing scrubs, but that Bergen Catholic team, um, you know, very good. Uh, one of the best programs in the country. In his senior year, they finished inside the top five of Max Preps rankings, and Angeli um, had a lot to do with that. His leadership, um, you know more of a, a, a pro style run first offense. That's kind of just the, that big six, um, you know, North Jersey ball that that's just, just pro style, um, you know, kind of offenses. You're not chucking the ball around too much, but Angelia that still had a really strong season. Um, he's big, you know, he's listed at six, two, but when you see him in person, he just looks six, three, six, four, you know, listed at what I think two fifteen or two twenty. Um, really clean mechanics. His quarterback's coach in high, uh, growing up from grade school to high school, Matt Bastardi did a fantastic job with him. High school coach Vito Campanelli, um, one of the best. Like, if you know Jersey football, the Campanelli name is, is, is a big deal. I mean, there, there's several guys with the last name Campanelli coaching in the pros in college and, of course, Vito in high school. Um, so coached up really well. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time about his arm strength. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's I would say he can throw the ball farther than Drew Pine, and he can put, you know, the, you know that intermediate fifteen to twenty-five yard pass. He can put the zip on it with just about anyone. In my humble opinion, I will say I'm higher on Angeli than probably most everyone else is, maybe. But um, you know, I you know, when when he wins that third Heisman, I'm gonna be like, all right, here comes the fourth. <laughs> I'm kidding, but seriously, like I, I just think that he's got all the tools. Like he's more athletic than you would think. Um, he, he throws a really pretty pass. He's got a strong arm, um, and uh, yeah, he's got like all the moxie, and, and he certainly has confidence, as Marcus Freeman alluded to. Now on Monday's Sports Beat, I made this comment, Mike, that for a lot of people, this team winning as many games as possible is the most important thing the rest of the way, because as an independent. Their major goals are gone at this particular time. Some people just want them to get to a bowl game. Some people just want them to beat either Clemson or USC. Everybody has their different way of trying to figure out what sure. they want out of the rest of the season from a 4-3 and three football team. Maybe it's because I'm a media member. I look at it differently, and I'm not saying anybody else is wrong in their opinions. To me, the most important thing for this football team the rest of the way is figuring out if their 2023 starting quarterback is on the roster or not. Because I'm already looking ahead to next year, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the seniors. I just look at this whole thing a different way because I'm in the media. Do they have their starting quarterback currently on the roster? Is he playing somewhere else in college football right now? I think that needs to be determined. 
So I always bring up, Mike, Buckner and Pine, and I stop there. Am I being unfair in my conversation by not bringing up Angeli in the conversation? Wow, that's loaded. Um, I, I think if Angeli is going to be the – and this is just one man's opinion. Yes. I haven't thought about this too much because I, I'm in the camp of, you know, maybe keep a, keep in the corner of your eye next year. But, I mean, I, I see comments all the time on YouTube or Twitter or message boards like, the season's gone. No, the season's not gone. It's like if you're in that football program, the season is very no so much there and you have some big goals. Um, but, again, if I'm on the staff, I got to think – if I'm Marcus Freeman, like, dude, if if we stink next year, am, like, is my job safe? Like, seriously, you you you've got high expectations going into year two. As far as Angeli, though, again, my my opinion, if not think about this a ton, would be, I think it would be difficult for Notre Dame to go into next season without Angeli really playing this fall and starting him. That I mean, that that would be tough, you know, because then. Who knows where Pine and Buckner are at, or they both at Notre Dame or, or what? But they're more established in their experience, and you know the Notre Dame offense and all that stuff. Um, so I would think Angeli's best chance to be the starter next year is if he gets to play some this year, and he's really good, and he shows the staff that in the game as well as spring ball and fall camp next year. But I've said it you know, many times on your show, Darren, is that I think Notre Dame needs to be aggressive um, and get a, I mean, they still don't have a high school quarterback in, in this recruiting class, but of course that's looking down the line, not for the 2023 season, but I, I mean, I think they should get, a, again, a high school quarterback in this recruiting cycle um, and as well as a transfer. I mean, Notre Dame should have had fun probably this year Agreed. Uh, for this season too. Um, so, I think they should do it next year. Well said. I agree with that 100%. Should I, as someone that follows recruiting through you and Blue and Gold, illustrated blueandgold.com, assume that it is going to be, how do I say it, unlikely for Notre Dame to get a game-changing class of 2023 quarterback? They might get a quarterback, but not in that game-changing category. So I looked this up this morning. 50, the, the 50 top of the, okay. All right, Singer, you got this. Come on. Of the 50 top quarterbacks in the country in the 2023 cycle, per the on three consensus, two of them are uncommitted. Two. And I think one of them is more of an FBS prospect, not even a power five guy. And the other one's got a couple power five offers. Um, so you're going to flip somebody like that's what you're going to do. Um, I think that Brandon Hillman, the young man from Virginia, who we've discussed a good bit, he plays high school quarterback, but you know, he can also be a running back, a receiver, or a defensive back. I do think Notre Dame, if they bring him in, will give him a shot to play quarterback at first, because why the heck not? You know, just add, add more competition, see if he can do it, kind of thing. If not, it's an Avery Davis type thing where you move him to a different position. And if not for injuries, I think Avery Davis would be an NFL player. I thought that for years might not be an unpopular, or it might be an unpopular opinion, but um, we'll, we'll never know. Cause you know, a young man has, has battled so many injuries, but uh, so can they go flip some high four star, five star type guy? I, I don't think so, Darren, because those guys have been committed so long. Yeah. Quarterbacks commit so early 
I mean, there's been rumors out there about Jackson Arnold potentially visiting Notre Dame, which, from what I'm told, have been completely random and untrue. Um, Those rumors really just created chaos for the young man for a couple weeks. I feel for him. You know, everyone's calling and texting him, asking, you going to Notre Dame? And the young man's like, no. Marcus Freeman went out to uh, to see – Peyton Bowen, I don't want to get off too too sure. far off track, but went out and see Peyton Bowen, Notre Dame's five-star safety commit in the 23 cycle, and then, of course, Peyton's younger brother, Eli, 2024 corner. And, you know, Jackson Arnold just happens to be the quarterback for that team. So my understanding is that Freeman texted them, hey, great game. You know, they just kind of – they've talked on the phone once, but that was it. And then it's like, oh, he's going to visit us with the Clemson game. They're like, where is this coming from? But that's modern-day media for you, Darren. Something gets like that gets put out because it's quarterbacks, and then everyone um, loses their mind with it. Um, but, yeah, in terms of who who Notre Dame could get, still very much to be determined, Darren, because Notre Dame, I mean, they haven't offered a new 2023 passer since August. So, you know, they would love to flip someone like Avery Johnson, who's a four-star quarterback, elite 11 guy from Kansas State. That looks unlikely. Um, I'm told he's always, you know, he's got like Kansas State merch or something. Like, I have a hard time seeing that. And then um, there's some three-star type guys who I think would be very good for Notre Dame to land. At this point in the cycle, they're not to the level of Dante Moore, Jackson, Arnold. But, I mean, beggars can't be choosers at this point. I'll just say this. For a program that made the playoffs twice and just missed last year, making it three times recently and with a quarterback situation that's in flux with an offensive line coach like Harry Heastan taking care of the guys in front of you. It is a very attractive spot right now. I'm not saying anyone's going to flip, but it's not like you have a guy that's going to be starting for sure the next two or three years on the roster that could develop with Tyler Buckner. He may develop into that type of player, but as of right now, it's an attractive spot. I completely agree with you, which is why I'm not ready to call Notre Dame quarterback recruiting a, a disaster. Up to this point, yes, it has been. I mean, uh, Tommy Reese, Marcus Freeman, this staff, I mean, part of it was just kind of unfortunate that, you know, they, they weren't able to keep Dante Moore, um, you know, whether you want to call him the silent commit or whatever. They, you know, they weren't able to um, get him in the fold, but I mean, since it, it's kind of just been, it's, it's been a head scratcher um, for sure. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's Notre Dame. So there's that, uh, that lore to some players um, who just uh, grew up with, with an affinity for Notre Dame. So um, that, that player could still be out there and, and people don't know about it. And maybe Notre Dame's discovered him or not. We'll see. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the one, uh, the, the one thing that you have to, you know, to keep you a little bit optimistic. I'm Darren Pritchett with Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. How about an update on Khalil Barnes? Yeah, so this is a young man who Notre Dame just offered uh, less than two weeks ago, um, and uh, he's told Blue and Gold that he's going to be officially visiting Notre Dame for the Clemson game. Interestingly enough, for folks watching on YouTube, you see the on three prediction machine uh, gives Clemson an 89.7 chance percent to land them per, you know, that algorithm. That's a little inflated in my opinion. 
I'd probably put it somewhere like 60-40 Clemson to Notre Dame, in my opinion. Um, Oklahoma offered recently, um, and I'm told um, that he's he's going to visit there as well in November. So he's listed as a cornerback, 6'1", 185. Notre Dame's recruiting him as a receiver. Chancey Stuckey and Barnes have built a good connection. I'll have um, – or excuse me, I already posted this article Tuesday morning, so folks can check out what Barnes told me about his interest in Notre Dame and, and kind of what's next um, for him and the Irish. Um, but uh, positive development. Clemson weekend will be huge for Notre Dame, um, and specifically with this recruitment because he's considering both schools so highly. Three-star recruit, former Wake Forest commit, but really blowing up on the scene here lately with offers from Notre Dame. Um, Clemson offered early in the fall in Oklahoma recently. Um, and I, I believe it was Miami offered him. I know maybe that was a different player I'm thinking of, but you know, he just keeps picking up more offers. Um, and, uh, yeah, Notre Dame is, is just not waiting around for one of their top guys they've been on for a while to, to commit to a different school, and then Notre Dame has to scramble. They're kind of being proactive um, in uh, those plan B options, so to speak. Mike, from what you know, are most teams looking at him as a wide receiver? That's a good question. Okay. I don't know. Right. I really, yeah, I'm I don't know. Just curious. Yeah. I ask these wild questions. No, no, not a wild question. Um, I mean, I could figure it out, but it would take me about 45 seconds. But nah, that's okay. Can't do that while we're on the air. That's okay. <laughs> How about a question that's been popping into my head? Normally, I try to ask questions in regard to what Irish fans are wanting to hear. So I'm going to be selfish here and ask this question. Since we're coming down last couple of months before National Signing Day, I'm wondering, as you look at the closing weeks of this cycle, is there an assistant or two for Notre Dame that has the most important or challenging, however you want to look at it, the most important role the rest of the way before National Signing Day? Yeah, well, one, it has to be Tommy Reese. I mean, that's the obvious one because I think it's, it's, it's just less than 60 days until National Signing Day. And not only does Notre Dame not have a quarterback committed, we don't even have a great lead on who they're going to go after. Um, so you would hope that Notre Dame's able to bring in someone for the Clemson game, but Darren, we will just see. Um, I think that one's is obvious. And then a, another one would probably be Chancey Stuckey uh, because when he came in, um, he, it was a depleted receiver room. Um, and it, it probably will be after this season, too. You never know what, what transfers could potentially happen. Some guys unhappy about playing time, whatever it may be. So you really needed to bolster your receiver core in this recruiting class. You have three committed with Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores, two of those young men from Texas and one from Northern California. You have big-time programs in those states, so you need to keep those young men locked in, um, as well as land Tayshawn Lyons, a four-star pass catcher, who he just he picked up a Texas A&M offer on Monday. You need to keep him, um, you know, thinking at Notre Dame at the top of his mind. Um, and if you d don't land someone like Lyons, you have to get Khalil Barnes. Or, you know, do you offer someone else at that point? So I would say – um, Stucky and Reese. And when you talk Notre Dame recruiting over these past few years, you look at the positions Notre Dame needs to do a better job at, quarterback and receiver. 
You also throw a corner in there. Notre Dame's really good cornerback class and defensive back class overall. Um, but, yeah, you know, for, for this discussion, I would say Reese and, and Stucky. Since so many people write to me, there's a, a friend of mine that's a, a national broadcaster that's a big Notre Dame fan. He direct messaged me today and said, you know what, all I'm worried about right now for the rest of the season is keeping this outstanding Notre Dame football recruiting class together. He's worried that, that Bowen is going to jump ship at some point. I remember earlier this year, a couple of weeks or so, maybe even further back, you had the sense that Keon Keeley was looking elsewhere and may decommit, and that ended up happening. So based on the DMs I'm getting and based on the conversation we had earlier this year, let me ask you this. Is there a player in this class you feel like they have to babysit more than anybody else? I'm sure there's nobody close to what you were feeling with Keeley at that time, but is there anyone you're feeling like they maybe have to babysit a little more than everybody else? First of all, Darren, I always get nervous when you bring something up I've previously said <laughs> um, because – yeah, um, this is me we're talking about. But Stop. you already said his name. I mean, it's Peyton Bowen. It's not even a question. I mean, Darren, you've had some good questions, but this one was terrible. Okay. That's a very obvious one, Mr. Terrible question. Come on, Mr. Pritchett. <laughs> hey, you get you get a couple passes a year. But, yeah, it's obvious. I mean, it's not even babysitting as, as much at this point as it's just flat out a recruiting battle. Like, I don't even know how – like if someone could be, I don't, I don't could have called babysitting because he, he just visited Oregon this past weekend. And for the first time in months, we've heard him mention Michigan um, in an interview with on three Sam Spiegelman. Jeez. And you already know o, OU and A&M so, have been involved. And he wants to visit both of those schools again, as well as Notre Dame. We're expecting him to visit for the Clemson game. So that recruitment is, it, it's, it, you call him a committed prospect, but it, it, it's a total battle. Um, up until National Signing Day. And I did post an article on Monday called The Gold Standard. I went through all the latest with Notre Dame's 2023 targets and then listed a handful of 23 Irish commits who are still being pursued by other schools, some to the degree of Peyton Bowen or someone like Dylan Edwards, who I just kind of mentioned in there because I know there was a rumor he might visit Kansas and then that didn't happen. Um, but those guys. All right. Don't ask knucklehead questions next week. I'll, I'll save that. <laughs> it's on a post-a-note right by the screen here, and you'll get all A-plus questions next week, I promise, right. okay? <laughs> um, sounds good, Darren. How about we wrap up with an easy question, all the things happening right now at blueandgold.com? You know, the season is, is very busy, but we get into a good flow at Blue and Gold. So, you know, you just have the certain things you're going to expect. You know, if Mondays and Thursday afternoon, you're getting those Marcus Freeman Update Tuesday evenings are, are Patrick, um, are, you know Patrick Engel and Tyler Horker from Blue and Gold meet with the coordinators and, and some select players. So get all the coverage from that during the week, um, as well as the recruiting updates all throughout the week. Um, fantastic uh, coverage on the Notre Dame football team. Um, and, and Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will have um, the Mike Goolsby show. So I don't know if you're listening to this back um, via you know, Darren's podcast or whatever it may yep. be, uh, but Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, Mike Goolsby show. You will not want to miss that. Never a dull moment on, on our particular Blue and Gold. show. Yep, on our, on our Blue and Gold YouTube show. Yep. Okay. Mike, appreciate the conversation. Great stuff this week, as always, and we will talk to you next week.
All right, Mr. Pritchett. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Singer. Mike Singer, Notre Dame Football Recruiting Insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Sports News next on 960 AM WSBT. Blur. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, the fall edition of Radio Bingo is here. Michiana's virtual double bingo game has $5,000 worth of cash prizes that you can get your hands on. Grab your bingo card and play for big cash jackpots at michianabingo.com. And don't forget to use the Camden Appliance free space in the center. The jackpot grows daily by 50 bucks. For rules and bingo cards, head to michianabingo.com. Michiana's virtual double bingo game is brought to you in part by Camden Appliance, Carl K. Memorials, Christensen Furniture, and Faith Mission of Michiana. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. The month of October has been a roller coaster ride for this particular segment. It was rough going 7 and 20, the first 27 suggestions of October. Then we hit lightning in a bottle, going 25 and 13 over our next 38 to get to 32 and 33 entering last night's action. I had a Bears-Patriots wager that carried over from Friday, and then we had four suggestions last night. So much for the lightning in a bottle as four of the five hit the loss column from Friday. I had the Bears under 18.5 points. Little did I know they were going to come out with that offense last night. That was fun. Putting up a 30-burger on Belichick and the Patriots, so that was a loss. Two other Monday night wagers went against me. It's interesting, last Monday and Thursday, I had a good feel for the game. It played out the way I thought, and I hit a majority of those suggestions. This game did not turn out the way I thought, hence down the tube. I had Bears running back David Montgomery under 50.5 rushing yards at minus 115. He had 27 at halftime, but ended up with 62. That was a loss. I had David Montgomery over one and a half catches at minus 140, a loss. He did not catch one pass in the game. I'm surprised by that. The one win last night from the NBA, I had the Grizzlies minus one against the Nets at minus 105. That was a clean win. Memphis won 134 to 124. And my final suggestion last night, Bulls guard Io DeSumo over two and a half assists at minus 125. He put up over 20 points against Boston last night and unfortunately did not pass as much. Needed three assists. He had two. Hence, another loss. All right, so one and three last night, one and three for the week, and now I've fallen to 33 and 37 for the month of October. We've had a winning month every month for this segment, but now I really got to go the last few days of the month. Good news is for the season, 192, 165, and 5. Here we go with four suggestions for tonight. We'll start with the National 
Hockey League, trying to go to a comfort zone. How about the Detroit Red Wings are the only team in the NHL to acquire at least a point in every game that they've played. They have been terrific on home ice. The Wings are 2-0-1. Their goal differential for the season, plus 8. Off to a great start. Let's ride the Wings. Red Wings on the money line tonight against the Devils. It's a coin flip game. I'll go with Detroit and get that wager at minus 110. Bruins and Stars play in Boston tonight. Second night of a back-to-back for Dallas. Their top defenseman is not going to play in this game. So I'm going with the Bruins on the money line against the Stars. Boston is 4-0 at home this year at TD Garden. So let's go with the Bruins on the money line. From the NBA, Southman's very own Jaden Ivey has scored 19, 17, and 17 in his first three NBA games. I'm going Jaden Ivey over 15.5 points at the Washington Wizards tonight. And also from the same game, Wizards minus 5.5 against the Pistons, Detroit. They are not defending opposing backcourts well at all. They got to deal with Bradley Beal tonight. Plus, the Wizards are 3-1-1 in their last five games against the Pistons. 7-0-1 against the spread in their last eight in Washington, D.C. So I'm going to ride the trend and go Wizards minus 5.5 against the Pistons. Along with the Red Wings, the Bruins on the money line, and Jaden Ivey going over 15.5 points. Sports Beat tonight brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, Midland Engineering Company, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, South Bend Orthopedics, Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Pet Refuge, Legacy Heating and Air, and Four Winds Casinos. Everybody have a wonderful evening. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow night at 5 o'clock for two more hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 